We want to continue this morning in praising the Lord through the teaching of His Word. So if you take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. This morning we'll look at verses 13 and 14. Trust you all had a good holiday and uh, good to see you, especially some of you that went some distance and came back and uh, had traveling uh, mercies. So we're glad for that as well. And praying for those who are still in the process of returning from the holidays. This morning, we want to continue that thought of praising God and for all that he's done. And we want to talk about salvation and forgiveness this morning. And the fact that it has been accomplished on the cross. In verses uh, 6 to 15, the emphasis has been in this section, as I see it, on the supremacy of Christ. And uh, we saw the significance of Christ in verses 8 to 7. And the identification with Christ takes us all the way through 9 through 15. And we saw that in the previous verses a week ago. We saw that we are identified with him as we read in uh, 1 Corinthians, or Corinthians, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, where we read the following. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the work of God who raised him from the dead. We were identified with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And particularly here, he's talking about the resurrection. And he says in, in verse 13, when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him forgiving us of all our transgressions, verse 13. But I meant to look up here. We have been identified with Jesus Christ in everything. Now this is uh, when you were dead, he points out in verse 13. He says, when you were dead, we understand that the Bible talks about three specific deaths. He reminds us that in Scripture... Death never means annihilation. Death means separation. And so the three deaths that we are, see in Scripture, all of us have participated in, maybe not one, but all, if you're a believer, you participate or will participate in all, maybe. We see, first of all, there's a spiritual death, which is the state of separation and alienation from God. When Adam sinned, he did not die physically immediately. Remember God said to him, the day you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will die, you will surely die. He lived long enough. He lived long enough to have children. God was gracious enough. But God would have been perfectly just to kill Adam immediately and none of us ever existed. But he allowed Adam to live long enough that he would have children so that there would be, so you and I have a debt to owe to God's grace, even though Adam sinned. And as a result of Adam's sin, all living people are born spiritually separated from God with the exception of Jesus Christ. 
Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, just a couple books uh, prior to this. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. He's talking about that. When you were dead, this was the case in which we find ourselves. In, in Ephesians 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your transgressions, or trespasses, and sins, in which you were formerly wa walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, all the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, among them we too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That was our spiritual condition prior to our salvation. So whether we were born in a Christian home or not, it doesn't make any difference. We were alienated from God. And in a Christian home, there may have been a, ten a tendency to accept the religion that we were trained in or reared in. But we were dead nonetheless. Everyone needs to come to know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, regardless of what denomination or church or lack of church they may have been in. Spiritual death will be the eternal state of all who refuse to believe in their lifetime that Jesus is Lord. Spiritual death starts. And they don't understand. Remember this, if people are spiritually dead, do not understand why we have church. And do not understand the importance of the scripture. Do are not walking by faith. And we have people that come into the church, and the Bible calls them tares, who come to church, join the church, but never really place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And they basically have no interest in the word other than it's something to do on Sunday morning and Christmas Eve. The second death that we experience in scripture is physical death. It is a temporary separation from the soul, the body, from the soul and the spirit. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 35, verses 17 to 20. Genesis chapter 35, verses 17 to 20. Here's an experience of Rachel going through death, which is described by Moses as he wrote Genesis. Uh, she uh, was experiencing her second son being born. She'd had Joseph already and so we read in verse 17 of Genesis 35 when she was in severe labor the midwife said to her do not fear for now you have another son it came about as her soul was departing for she died that she named him Benoni but his father called him Benjamin now her soul was departing his death soul departed from her body. Body was buried. The tomb is still there. You can go to Israel. I wouldn't advise it today. But you can go to Israel and you can drive by and see the spot where she is buried. And she called him Benoni, which is son of my sorrow. So Jacob changed his name to son of my right hand. But she'd had a tough life. Sometimes people wonder about Jacob and all the Wives he had, all the children he had, uh, he, had a, he had a sad life. 
And when he stood before Pharaoh, he said, you know, my life has been long and sorrowful. So uh, explains that all this multiple wives and all the stuff that Abra or Jacob pulled, he paid for it. So we have that, and we read this in James 2.26, for, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So faith, uh, so for the soul and spirit, physical death is separation from the body. And in Romans 5.12 we read, Therefore, just as one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death sinned, so death spread to all men because all sin. The only exceptions were Enoch and Elijah. But look at here some hope in 1 Corinthians 15.50. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall, or we will, be changed. Think of that. There's a possibility we may not have to die. And that is if the rapture of the church should occur, then all of us would be gone. I don't know about you, but that's my hope. I'd just as soon go that way, but either way, the Lord is with us however that happens. There's a second death, and the second death is the final and permanent state through a second death of all who refuse to believe God and His Son. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, the last to the next chapter. And read about this second death. We often say, if you, if you are born once, you will die twice. If you are born and then born again, you will only die once. But if you're an unbeliever, you will die twice. Revelation 21, verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murders and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in that lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I had a friend who was an unbeliever and uh, some people from the church came and visited with him and shared the gospel and his daughter accepted the Lord and, and uh, he thought about it and and they encouraged him to read the Bible. So he said, you know, I always read a book. I always go to the back chapters to see how it ends. So he went to the last chapters of the book of Revelation and read Revelation chapter 21. And he said, that's me. I'm one of those immoral. I'm one of those sinners. And I'll die the second death. And the result was he, found, he came to know Christ as his personal Savior. Go back a chapter to Revelation 20 to the great white throne in verses 14 and 15. And at the end of that particular judgment, we read the following. But uh, uh, there, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So there's three deaths. There's the spiritual death, which is everybody born in the world except for Christ. All are lost. 
And then there is physical death, which occurred to everybody in the world with the exception of Enoch and Elijah and all those who are alive when Jesus Christ comes for the church. So there's a possibility many more not having to go through the physical experience of death. And then there is a second death. And he says, you'll die in your transgressions. He says, when you were dead in your transgressions. Now the word transgression is made up of two words. The main word is fall, along with its prefixed with a preposition, para, which means alongside. So to fall alongside is the literal meaning of the word. A spirit, the, the, the transgressions are the function of a person without Christ. And we read, it is not the root meaning, it means a deliberate sin. We were dead in sinning deliberately. Sinning is not, there are times we do sin, uh, we sin unwittingly, we sin unknowingly, and we just flat sin. We just flat go ahead and sin. And we read here how serious this is. Take a look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15. I got it on the board for you. For if you, for, if, for if you forgive others of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. If you're not willing to forgive someone else, don't expect forgiveness from God. That's how serious transgressions are. Matthew is the only writer outside of Paul in the New Testament that uses this word. Transgressions is a serious sin. And though you, if somebody has ill against you or if someone has poked you with a sharp stick, you don't poke them back, you forgive them as a believer. And if you can get it reconciled, get it reconciled. But it's a serious sin. In this passage, it is used of, uh, against people and then against God. And the verses emphasize the severity of the transgressions of sin. In Romans chapter 5, 15, take a look at that in chapter 5 of Romans, where we use transgressions again. Where Paul talks about the free gift of God, it's not like the transgression, the transgression. That was when Adam was told, you can eat of any tree of the garden you want. But in the middle of the garden, there's one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. Because the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And Adam, Eve was deceived. Adam transgressed. He went ahead and ate of the tree knowing that it was against God's will. Unfortunately, we've all done the same thing. We've all known what God's will is at some point or another, and we went the opposite direction. Look at verse 17 of Romans 5. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more 
those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. So there is forgiveness. Transgressions refer to the disruption of the relationship between God and man. Jesus Christ came and reconciled that whole position. And then uh, Galatians, Paul says, why the law? If one transgression puts us out of relationship with God, why the law? Galatians 3, 9, why the law? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by agency of a mediator until the seed would come without whom the promise had been made. So we know we, we sinned in Adam, and then the law came around and showed us how much we really have sinned. And I think if we're all honest here, and we, we might as well be, we are all sinners, and if you're a Christian, you're a sinner saved by grace. And, and we're just thankful that we're saved, and God has forgiven us, as we'll see here. Not only were we dead in trespasses, or transgressions, we were dead furthermore in the uncircumcision of, our, of your flesh. Now, we just had this a couple a Sunday ago, and we talked about the circumcision that was made without hands. We're talking about an inner circumcision. In the sign of the covenant that was given to Abraham in Genesis 17, as we talked about, the excess flesh was cut off as a sign that you belong to the Abrahamic covenant. Now, that in itself is not salvation. But the hidden and inner meaning is this. You should be circumcised in your heart. You ought to have the flesh, which guides and controls all our actions as an unbeliever. When we're saved, that's cut off. It's no longer a power. You don't have to do the dirty old habits you have been doing. You don't have to gossip. You don't have to covet. You don't have to lie. You don't have to get in some ugly habit. It can be broken when you come to Christ and when you say, Lord, I don't lo longer want to do this anymore. Help me by the Spirit of God to overcome this. You can overcome porn. You can overcome all kinds of things that afflict you and keep you from really serving the Lord. I don't know what it is in your life, but each of us have a sin that so easily besets us that, we're, that we succumb to and we come to the Lord over and over again and say, Lord, I don't want this attitude. I had a particular person on one occasion that just irritated me every time I saw them. And every time I heard them talk, it just, it just irritated me. And the back of the hair went up in the back of my neck whenever I saw them. And, I, and this was not right. I knew it was not right. The Bible tells it's not right. I'm supposed to love that person. And I really battled that. I just came to the Lord and said, Lord, i got to love this person. Help me. Give me the strength by the Spirit of God to do it. And he does. And he did. And you probably have people like that in your own life. It's sin to continue to have those kinds of attitudes. And yet with God's help and with God's power, we can overcome it. And it may be your own husband or your own wife. 
or maybe a relative or a neighbor, whoever it might be. We can have victory over it. So cut off that flesh. Don't do it. He made us alive together, having forgiven us of all our transgression. Once being dead and alienated from God, we now have been made alive by the virtue of our union with Jesus Christ. Union with Christ renders a comprehensive complex of redemption benefits, both moral and relative. Let me just give you seven things that are the result of us being one with Christ. We are chosen in Christ. You're chosen in Christ. Where is Christ today? Yeah, in heaven. Where is he sitting? The right hand of God. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're one with him. Where are you? At the right hand of God. Secondly, you're adopted in Christ Jesus. You are made part of the family because of your union with Christ. You're part of God's family. You are justified in Christ because of your union with Christ. You have been declared positionally holy. In Christ, you are as holy in the presence of God as Jesus Christ is in the presence of God, in position. You're regenerated in Christ. You have been born again by virtue of your acceptance of Jesus Christ. You were made a new person. You're not the same old person you were when you were dead in trespasses and sin. You are sanctified. You are set apart in Christ, positionally and experientially. You have been made one with Christ. And that ought to enable us to live for him. Six, you are eternally secure. You're one with Christ. Is Christ going to die? No. If you're one with Christ, you're not going to die spiritually. You're one with him forever as long as he's alive. You are righteous in, uh, of God. The righteousness of God has been granted to you. Because you're in Christ. Union with Christ is a very important doctrine. Very important teaching. Whereas we were once dead in sin, we now are alive in Christ. Live like it. Live joyously in it. Live in the freedom that you have. Having been forgiven of all our transgressions. On the basis of Christ's sacrifice... In our place, he became the curse, and he paid the ransom for all. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Because of our sin, because of the way we were born, because of we sinned in Adam because of our oneness with Adam. And because we have the pollution of sin in us, we were cursed. Cursed to die. And Christ paid 
That curse, he took the curse upon himself on the tree. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. You owed a debt. You know, you're like a, like a prisoner of war, like we've just gone through in this past week. We had uh, in uh, the Hamas was holding prisoners, and we wanted them released, and they demanded a ransom. 50 prison, we'll release 50 if you release 150 prisoners, told Israel. He had to pay that ransom. And a lot of times, kidnapping is nothing more than you paying a ransom for the person kidnapped. Which, by the way, we have uh, our sister and my sister-in-law, Ruth's sister, has a friend who is working in Afghanistan by the name of Judy. And she, I think in September, was it? In September, she was taken by the Taliban, and she's still being held captive. As, uh, and uh, the UN has tried to work with them and, and the United States, but they're getting nowhere. Some have been released, and she is still held in captivity under the Taliban for preaching the Word of God in Afghanistan. And so you could pray for her if you think about it. But, but the point, of course, is that a ransom was paid for us to get us out of that spiritual death, out of that payment that we owed, out of the fact that we were prisoners of war to Satan. The word forgiven belongs to a family of words from which we get the word charis, grace. Forgiveness is a gracious act of God's part, but it's not due to any sense to the work uh, or merit that we have. Forgiveness is only of God. And grace is God's way of dealing with a sinner and bestowing forgiveness. In the provision of reconciliation, God did not require trespasses of sin to them. In other words, he, didn't, he did not impute the trespasses of sin to them. You know what? When you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, every trespass, every sin was forgiven. Up to this point? Now... <clears throat> Does anybody have the audacity to say they won't sin the rest of the day? Can you sit here and say you won't sin the rest of the day? I think we all know our weaknesses and we all know we will. How about tomorrow? How about Tuesday and Wednesday? That sin that you are going to commit and I'm going to commit has already been paid for. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. And as soon as the Spirit reminds us we have sinned, we're to confess that sin to the Lord, acknowledge it to the Lord that we've sinned. It's a matter of house cleaning. It's a matter of making things right with God. But the actual forgiveness, the transaction, was accomplished at the cross. Follow me in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, and we'll start at verse 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. 
In 2 Corinthians 5.19 we read, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Christ reconciled us to God and God did not take our transgressions, however great they were, and put them on our account. Look at verse 21. He made him, Christ, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. Jesus, God, let's put it that way, was sinless. And yet on the cross, even though he's sinless, he was treated as though he were a sinner. So that we could be treated as sinners as though we were not sinners. He bore that. So on the cross, he paid for your sin and mine completely, totally, The barrier between God and man was removed on the cross. But the actual forgiveness occurs at the time of personal salvation. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not multiply or impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. How happy we should be. Do we really, sometimes I wonder, do we really actually really believe we're forgiven? Do you actually believe that God has taken care of all your sin? We don't have to lie on a bed of na nails. We don't have to walk through hot coals of fire. To be forgiven, we don't have to pay a penance. All that was paid. And we ought to rejoice in the fact that our sins are forgiven. And go to bed at night knowing that God can forgive us. And if there's a sin we're dealing with, we can go to him and confess it. And he will forgive us. And we don't have to live under the constant guilt of that. Furthermore, in the next verse, he continues the thought and he says... Having canceled out the certificate of death of decrees against us. Not only are we forgiven all sin, the certificate of debt has been erased. This certificate is a handwritten autograph by the debt door in acknowledgement of the debt. When you borrow money, you get a little paper, and it says, here's how much you owe. And you recognize that i got to pay back this amount of money that I borrowed, right? So you sign your name to it. Well, this certificate of what we owed has been erased like you would erase a chalkboard or a dryboard. And let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, 15 again. So important I put it up again. By abolishing in his flesh, Christ, 
in his flesh the enemy, enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. This included the law of the Ten Commandments. That's the certificate. And even the Gentiles who didn't know the law at all, Romans 2 says, they practice the law in their heart. It's written on their heart. Go over to Romans chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Paul talks about this. Not only are the Jews broke the law, but Gentiles who didn't have the law. He says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are the law unto themselves. Now, I, uh, I might not say the name right. Hammurabi, remember him? Is that the right one? The, the, the physician of old, way back then, he wrote the laws of health. And what he wrote was almost like the Ten Commandments. He didn't get them from God, but he got, him from, got them from his own consciousness, the own morality in his own heart. He knew that stealing was wrong. He knew that immorality was wrong. He, he knew these things were wrong. Murder was wrong. Now, he didn't get that from directly from God like Moses got the Ten Commandments, but it was implanted on his heart. He knew right from wrong. And even our, my sister-in-law, when she was in the jungles of New Guinea, where they'd never even seen a white man or had any contact with a white man, in the crowd itself, they knew what adultery was. They knew that murder was wrong. And so somebody got murdered by another tribe, they would go to that tribe and, mur and kill somebody and eat him as revenge. They were cannibals. They knew right from wrong. Now we have a dog that doesn't know right from wrong. He doesn't even know he exists. He looks in a mirror and barks at him. Thinks there's another dog. It's as good looking as he is. So, Romans 2.15 says, So that they show the work of the law written in their heart, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Now we have in our day, we have a, a gross sin that is being condoned by our government called abortion. And a lot of times if you can get the girl or the woman who's pregnant who wants an abortion, if she could see a sonograph of her baby, she, re she may get out of the abortion. Very effective. Because she has a conscience. This is not right. And I've talked to both men who have allowed their girlfriends to get an abortion even years earlier, have a very strong guilt complex about it. Same way that women do when they've had an abortion. Yet God can even forgive that. Right? Right? Okay. He forgives our transgressions. He can forgive an abortion or allowing an abortion. 
even though it's murder. You say, well, I've never committed murder. If, Jesus said, if you hated somebody, you've committed murder. We're all guilty. That handwriting is against us. And the Gentiles as well. Well, Now, this certificate was a debt consisting of decrees. The law written by God through Moses declared the debt of sinfulness man owed to God. Now, the law wasn't written to save anybody. The law was written to tell us how sinful we are. It wasn't really a very encouraging document. I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I haven't been a farmer, but I borrowed money to buy a house or to buy a car. And here's this thing hanging over my head. And man, was I glad when we paid it off. Weren't you? Finally paid the debt? Well, this law was against us. This certificate of the Ten Commandments, the law, offers us no hope or no encouragement. Ezekiel says, the soul that sins shall surely die. That's what the law told us. The law demanded judgment without mercy. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28. Where the writer of the Hebrews is saying, you have all this grace, why would you go back to the law? As the people were considering to do in light of the persecution the Jews were facing at that time. And so he gives a warning in Hebrews 10, verse 26 and following. Hebrews 10, verse 26. <laughs> For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for us. But a terrifying expectation of judgment, the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. And anyone who sets aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. The law is the prosecuting attorney, the jury, the executioner of the sinner. So here stands that certificate. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And uh, I don't have this down on the board, but here's a verse that really ought to be come into play here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Peter, speaking of Christ, said, And he himself bore our sin on his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. Okay. Here's the death. Ten Commandments. That's a certificate that is laid before us. Go back to Exodus 20 if you want to and read. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Have you always done that? Could you do that this week? How about thou shalt not covet? How about let's, let's use a common one. How about lying? When did you start lying and when did I start lying? 
when I was 12? I know you parents. You have to fight this really early, don't you? You can come into a house and the lamp's knocked over. And you say, who knocked over the lamp? And what answer will you get? We don't know. Somebody knows. If not one is lying, they're all lying. We're all liars. Every one of us in this auditorium have lied. Every one of us has exaggerated the truth or eliminated some of the truth for our own good. Would you say that's a true statement? It's a true statement. So we have that debt and that certificate is there. And by the way, here's our signature on it. Our signature is on this debt that we owe to God. Now it says he takes it out of the way. So what they did in those days, they had this particular certificate and they would mark a large X on it. And say, it's no longer viable. viable. You have paid the debt. Now I didn't pay the debt. Who paid the debt? Jesus Christ. He paid that debt. That certificate is no longer in our vault. No longer on our desk. No longer in our mind. How many times have we had a debt? I've been involved with churches that have had debts. And it's always on the back of our mind. What a great day it was. Countryside, we paid the debt for this building. What a relief that was. It's so much of a relief, we don't want to go back in it again. We don't want to go back in debt once we've been in it. Because we know how it drags on our mind. And when we were in sin, it drug on our mind. It was on our mind constantly. So now, Jesus Christ died on a cross. There's a big X on that desk. And we can take that thing, rip it up, and shred it, and put away with it forever. That's the way he took care of our sin. It's no longer against us. They can't haul us into court and say you still owe that debt. And I've been told by people that, hey, you didn't pay your bill. I have the bill paid in full in my hand. I have the receipt. And I enjoyed walking in and saying, here's the receipt. And so when the doubts come in your mind that the debt is really paid, you can take the word of God, the receipt, and say, Jesus, what? Paid it all. He paid it all. That debt has been canceled. So 1 Peter 2.24, And he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. When Jesus died on the cross, they put nails in his hands, nails in his feet, and Paul says here, he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having nailed it to the cross. When you get your resurrected body, when you get your full resurrected body, there won't be a scar on it. 
Yeah, you won't be able to show people your place where you get, had surgery. You won't have any of those kinds of things. Who's going to have the scars? Jesus Christ. And when he reaches out his hand to welcome in you into heaven, what are you going to see in his hand? A nail print. And when you walk with him in the streets of glory and you look at his feet, what are you going to see? Nail prints. And a sword that pierced his side. And they were for you. And he bears the scars so that we don't have to bear any scar at all. What a privilege. What a point to know that. And I pray you do know that. I pray you come to the point in your life or at your life, maybe you already have, but if you haven't, you come to the point to realize that Jesus Christ really did pay it all. Your sins are forgiven. The law has been removed. It no longer stands condemning you. Jesus filled that law to a T. He didn't die for his own sins. He died for us. And he was sinless. His whole life proved he was sinless. And he paid it all for you and me. Let me ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you really come to the place and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't want to be a sinner. I repent of my sin. I'm sorry for all this mess. I want you as my Lord. I want you as my Savior. I know you died for my sin. And I know you rose again. And you're coming back for ones who believe in me, in him. I pray that you'll make that, that when you have faced with that confrontation, you will put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Let us stand for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way you have led us. And we thank you, Father, for the great salvation you have given to us. Not only have you forgiven us, Lord, but you took away that law that kept condemning us and kept reminding us of how sinful we are. We thank you for the aid of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who encourages us, who helps us, who counsels us from his word. So we pray, Father, that you will continue to encourage every believer here. And may they be thankful, may all of us be thankful for the great gift you've given us. And may those who are here without Christ come to the realization they can have their sins forgiven, all the way from murder to uh, dope to whatever. Lord, we know that you forgive adultery. We know you forgive uh, all kinds of sins. Thank you, Father, for the debt that has been paid, for the price and the voluntariness of our Lord Jesus to do so because of his great love. As we reminded of, for God, you love the world, that you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.